Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to another podcast. I'm just breaking in here real quick. So what you're going to hear me talk about here in this intro, this was said yesterday on Tuesday before the hurricane came through here. Now it's the next day. It's Wednesday. Looks like this hurricane did most of its damage through flooding. We actually had some in downtown Bradenton that we saw today, a little bit here and there. Wind damage doesn't seem to be uh, too much of an issue for most of the state. But uh, thank you for all of you that asked. Uh, again, I'm south of Tampa, so we didn't really have too much of an issue here. So with that, let's get into the podcast. Now, just remember what I'm talking about, the hurricane. This is yesterday before it even hit. All right, y'all, welcome back to another podcast. This one coming to you on August 29th. I've got a hurricane bearing down not too far from me here. And of course, that's the first thing we'll start up with, since I'm sure a lot of you will ask. Now, by the time I get this edited, who knows? hurricane will probably be passed because once they hit Florida, they don't stay long. This thing will be in Savannah, Georgia. What is today? Is It's Tuesday. So this thing will be in Savannah, Georgia, Wednesday over Thursday night. So just a couple of days. That's how fast they move. But coming this way, I'm actually just south of the Tampa Bay area over by there. Born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida. And that's important for you to know because Floridians, we take hurricanes a little bit differently than those of you that have moved here in the last year or two, which is most of you listening uh, most of you have moved here from New York and New Jersey. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, it's coming in. Now, it's going to hit north of what's called the Nature Coast. Um, and so it's not an area that I'm very familiar with. I think it's 150, maybe even 200 miles north of me. I'm south of Tampa Bay. It could hook in the next little bit. It could hook and go into Tampa Bay. That has happened in the past. Um, as far as these hooks go, we had one a few years ago that was supposed to uh, go right into Tampa St. Pete, but actually hooked and hit south, like Venice area. So there's 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 a lot of things with those, but I just want you to know people always ask, what do I do? I actually prepare for a party. That is what most Floridians do. And I know that could sound, to so some of you that are far away, you could think, man, you, you party during a disaster. But what you have to realize is you know hurricanes are coming, and as a native Floridian, they're actually pretty exciting to many of us, to most of us, I would say. And that's because you have to understand that when you get to experience nature's fury and you get to be in it, that is, that's like a once in a lifetime experience. That's a nonce in a lifetime experience for a lot of you. But for us, it's something that happens quite often and we actually kind of enjoy it. it not even to, to sound so, is morose the word? Not even to sound so gross about it. Just think of everyday thunderstorms that we have. When y'all come down here from up north and you sit through our thunderstorms, you can get a little, they can be a little scary. Now, I'll tell you what, we had some pretty nasty storms and microburst tornadoes when I lived in Northwest Indiana as well. But I have always liked storms. I used to sit on my back porch as a kid and still do to this day. And when a storm rolls in, I will sit out there and pop a cold one and uh, just enjoy watching that storm come through, smoke a cigar, you know. It's a normal thing for us. And as far as hurricanes go, there's something you all need to understand when you think about this. And the reason this came up is because there are a lot of YouTubers that do YouTube content on weather. And the only way that they get views is to sensationalize the weather. And I kind of enjoy some of those channels myself. You know, when it comes to a summer heat wave and they're sensationalizing the summer heat wave and they put in all kind of gings and gongs and bongs and bings around there. It could be the worst thing ever. Gong, gong. You know, this could be the worst heat wave in 30 plus years gong gong you know that kind of stuff I mean 
I get excited about that. That's pretty cool because what is that for me? It's content, right? Oh, there's a heat wave going through this part of the country. This dude is like totally playing it up. So I'm going to go ahead and make some content for my audience on that same heat wave. And what should you do during the heat wave for your lawn, right? So I get that. I totally understand. But a heat wave going and me being concerned about someone's lawn during a heat wave, it doesn't quite have the gravity, obviously, I understand that a hurricane does. Now, I will tell you that anything over a category three, so category four or five, I'm taking extremely seriously. I'm not going to be making this type of content. I'm still going to, you know, sit there and enjoy it. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but I'm going to board up at that point. And this category three that's possibly coming in, I'm not going to board even board up for that. I've got 120 mile an hour rated windows. I have a hip roof. Our homes are made of block here. I, I know you all up, up north, you have a lot of stick builds. But you have different, you have a lot of insulation because you're more worried about snow, right? Our houses are not insulated here. They're built of these hollow cement or concrete blocks, not cement. They're concrete block houses. You've seen these blocks. They're uh, they're kind of hollowed out. I, sh I should just, I mean, I think they're just called concrete block homes. Let's see, concrete block homes. Yeah, it's, that's just what it is. Um, you know, I'm not in, I'm not in the, those type of trades. So correct me if I'm using the wrong terminology, but our homes are not blowing over is basically what I'm telling you. You know, my home was built in 2005. Now there are trailer parks here. There's a lot of those. There are trailer parks that are trailer park boys style where there's crack deals going on and all kinds of, of underworld nastiness. And then there are also the other spectrum. There are people that are literally retired millionaires, people that retired with five, seven, ten million dollars in the bank who live in the first class trailer parks that have like gated, they're gated communities with security and, and world-class bass stocked bass ponds, all in this 55 plus, you know, uh, community of, of manufactured homes. That's what they're called when they're higher end, right? Either way though, no matter which one of those you live in, I'm out at category four or greater, just gone, okay? So that's one thing. Now, that brings me back to thinking about, as a Floridian, how do you respond to a hurricane? Well, the first thing is, is after you know that you live in a home like I do, that's a block home that has modern construction with hip roofs, which are better in wind, and and modern windows that, that are rated, once you know that, then the second thing you got to realize is, where do I live? Because there's two rules. One rule, the first rule is that you hide from wind. And the second rule is, is that you run from water or you run from floods. And, and if you think about it in that regard, things really change when you're a Floridian because the only areas that flood in Florida are areas along the coast or areas along rivers. And, 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 and that's, that's pretty broad, right? There's other areas that flood, but what, what you know, as a Floridian or what you should know, even if you just moved here last week is that you have to understand, do I live in a surge zone? Do I live in an evacuation zone because of surge, because of flooding? And you can actually Google, you know, your county surge map. So back to what I was saying when I said you got to hide from wind, run from water. You have to know where you live in the state and what your evacuation zone is because that's going to tell you whether you need to leave or not. Now, there's different colors. I can show you some screenshots and things like that. There's kind of different colors, and there's differences in evacuation zones and surge zones, okay? But basically, it's the surge that is the danger, especially if you live in an area that's coastal, because that is where most of the flooding happens, coastals and rivers. Those are the people that need to run from the water are people that live in those surge zones. Now, I live in a zone that isn't classified as a surge zone or an evacuation zone. And here's the funny part about that. 
And that's because I just live on higher ground, okay? The area where I live is not going to flood. It never has flooded. Now, I say never, right? Okay, we understand never doesn't mean anything in Florida. But through all of the hurricanes that have hit over all the years, and there's been quite a few that have come this way, with one of the most destructive being Hurricane Elena, which sat outside of Tampa Bay, I don't know, for like two or three days and just pushed water in. That was bad flooding in St. Pete in those days. What I'm trying to say is, though, is I live in an area that's not an evac zone or a surge zone. It's not going to flood. And so I don't have to run from the water. All I have to do is hide from the wind. And what you don't realize or what most of you don't realize is to get in an, in an area that's not a surge or an evacuation zone, you only have to go a couple of miles inward. That's it. It's not like you have to go 30 or 40 miles inland to Florida in order to be safe from surges and floods. You only have to go, in some cases, a mile inward. Now, Florida is a land of rivers. And so if you contact a river in the middle of the state, which is what happened last, it was last year, right? What was that really bad storm that came through last year that that really uh, did a lot of damage and flooded a lot of folks uh, in the inland of Florida, like because of the fact that there's these rivers that go through there, like the Peace River overflowed and, and places like that. So you, there are inward places that flood, but those people know I live in a surge zone. I live in a floodplain. I'm in an area that they will call for evacuation and I got to be prepared to go or I got to go ahead of time when they call for it. When they start telling you, like there's already areas in Florida being evacuated now. If I lived in one of those zones, it would behoove me to get out now. And the hurricane isn't even here yet. So all I'm trying to say, long, drawn out, lots of pauses in here. But what I'm trying to say is, is when you watch things from far away, understand that if you live here in Florida, you're prepared for this properly, hopefully. And so you're used to getting through it. And because I live in an area where flooding is not a problem, it doesn't mean I don't care about other people that do. I do. But on the other hand, as a Floridian, you know this is just part of living here. And so it's just part of the risk you take when you live here. It's part of understanding what it's like to have that beach home, right? So it is what it is, I guess is what I'm saying. And I don't want anything bad to happen to anybody, but I'm just letting you know when you see sensationalized things all over YouTube, it doesn't really feel that way to everybody, okay? So... Fun stuff, interesting stuff, something to think about. Now, if you want to watch somebody who is actually going to give you the straight skinny on the storms, you want to watch Dennis Phillips, D-E-N-I-S Phillips. He's uh, out of Tampa Bay. What channel is he? He's on Instagram. He is our local guy, Dennis Phillips. Here we go, Dennis Phillips. And you'll know him because he wears suspenders. ABC Action News, what number? I don't even know. I don't watch TV anymore. I, I So I don't know. Is that Channel 7? Whatever ABC Action News is in Tampa Bay, that's Dennis Phillips. I watch him only on Instagram or on Facebook or actually he's on Twitter too. And uh, he will give you the straight, like not panicked, not overdone, uh, but he also isn't going to sugarcoat things and make it sound not scary. He tells you straight skinny is basically the way I say it. Um, and he has a whole rules for how to handle these things. And it's, it's a lot of what I've been telling you, you know, go ahead, get prepared, know where you live, know what your evacuation zone is. If you're in an evacuation zone, pay attention, get a, get the batteries for the two-way radio. Those are those things that you need, right? Um, all that type of stuff. We all have that, right? I have a generator. I may, I have a propane, Bobby. My, my generator runs on propane, Bobby. I have a propane generator. I've got two fresh things of propane. Now I could switch it over. It does run on uh, petrol as well. And so I've got, you know, like six gallons of um, non-ethanol gas ready to go as well. So I have all of these things. And so I'm not saying I'm not prepared. I'm just saying that I'm prepared to enjoy the storm when it comes in. And if you're worried about me, it's not going to hit me and my area over here by Bradenton and we're going to be all good. So with that, let's now get into the lawn tips.
I guess the first thing I want to bring up here is because this is the fall, a lot of people are starting to talk about seeding the lawn. And I'm also just as active in cool season groups. You know, I have a big Facebook group that's got cool season and warm season folks in it. I've actually got two of them, uh, two of those groups. And so I kind of watch what people are doing, what they're saying. One of the groups is a little bit more advanced than the other. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to see the, the contrast there. But I also can see what people are thinking in real time across the country. And what I'm seeing is a lot of my friends in Florida, they're seeing all of the content coming up now on YouTube on seeding because it's the fall aeration overseed. And the Florida people are wondering, when, when do I seed? Do I do this? Right. Cause they don't know. A lot of them have moved down from up North. And so they just don't know that things are so different here or they're just new homeowners that maybe have been born and raised here, but they never paid attention to lawns. And so most of what you see online is catered to cool season lawns. And so they don't realize there's a huge difference. So I made a video that's on the lawn care nut channel. It's called who shouldn't seed. And it talks mostly about the growth habit of warm season lawns and how it differs from cool season lawns and that why we don't seed. And uh, I had a couple comments come through because I talked about rhizomes and stolons. And I mentioned that cool season lawns are bunch type grasses that you grow from seed. It comes up one root, essentially one root, one, one uh, top, one blade. That's how it starts. One root, one blade. And then from there, it adds blades and roots, blades and roots, blades and roots around and around and around. And it forms a bunch, a dense bunch. And then when you have thousands of those bunches that have grown together, then you have a nice, beautiful stand of turf. And listen, we, we can't debate that cool season turf is the best barefoot turf. I don't care if you have perennial ryegrass, Kentucky bluegrass, or turf-type tall fescue. It's beautiful under your feet. Now, Kentucky bluegrass, I think, is the very best feeling bluegrass or very best feeling barefoot grass that there is. That exi- I just do. But you can't also deny that the growth habit there is a lot different than in the south. And our grasses are bred to do something different. That's why they're not always great barefoot grasses. Even though zoysia is pretty nice, uh, very nice, and so is Bermuda. St. Augustine, no. It's one of those uh, one of those types that should be admired and not enjoyed. Um, but back to it, what I was saying was that these cool season grasses, they grow as a bunch type. And a couple people called me out and they said, well, what about the, rhiz- the fact that Kentucky bluegrass pushes rhizomes? And it does. Rhizomes are those runners we talk about. Uh, and so when you compare perennial ryegrass to Kentucky bluegrass, yes, Kentucky bluegrass has rhizonymous nature. It will push out some runners around itself so it can thicken up a little bit more or a little bit faster than can a stand of perennial ryegrass. This is why you see those two together so often. You see perennial ryegrass and Kentucky bluegrass together because the perennial rye is easy to grow and it grows fast. And then the Kentucky bluegrass fills in the gaps in between. Okay, so that's why those two work so well together. Uh, there's other reasons too, disease resistance, things like that. But the the long and the short of it is literally is that those rhizomes that your Kentucky bluegrass is growing, they're nothing when you compare them to what St. Augustine grass can do, for example. And so I don't really consider the fact that it, it pushes out rhizome to be a reason not to seed. And that was my point was that this is about people that are going to overseed because their lawn is overall thin. We're in the fall. You've been fertilizing it you know, all season. It's had rain all spring, so it had the whole spring to thicken up. Who knows what kind of summer you had? I don't know. But you're still thin here in the fall, so your Kentucky bluegrass obviously wasn't able to spread enough rhizomes, right, to fill things in because you have thin spots. Okay, if we were talking the springtime, it would be a different conversation. I would say, well, we have thin spots, but you have Kentucky bluegrass here. Right. So probably what you should do in the spring is let's not seed. Let's instead let's go with a defensive strategy and put down pre-emergent herbicides for crabgrass so we don't have any competition. And then let's bomb our Kentucky bluegrass and ryegrass and 
and tall fescue, but let's bomb that Kentucky bluegrass as much as we can with nitrogen to fuel it to push as much rhizome activity as we can and as many roots. And let's get it thick and let's add the sea kelp and let's do what we got to do to hammer it. Let's put it on a bulking cycle. It's that weightlifter that's going up. He's bulking up because he's going to go on stage. He needs to bulk up for a couple hundred days. Bam, hammer him with that, that nitrogen, right? That's kind of how, that's my philosophy. Like it or not, that's what I like. That also gives you the green lawn that you want, the vigorous lawn, the thick lawn, the one that people stop by and go, man, your lawn looks awesome. Yeah, that's the lawn I want. That's how I do it. Some people spend hours polishing their car and and, and shining it all up. So people will say, man, your paint job looks good. Me, I, I run mine through the car wash once a week, but that's it. So everybody kind of has their thing. That's my thing. That's what I like to do. Now, when you get to the fall though, if your Kentucky bluegrass, for whatever reason, wasn't able to push enough rhizomes right to thicken up then that's when you seed okay and you can seed ryegrass you can seed fescue you can seed kentucky bluegrass whatever you want right um to go ahead and fill in those thin spots that's the point now let's go down to florida if i had the same situation in florida or texas right i would see florida because this is where i live but this could be texas louisiana mississippi alabama georgia and it doesn't have to just be St. Augustine grass. This can definitely be Bermuda or Zoysia are super aggressive. Centipede, not as aggressive, but when you compare to Kentucky bluegrass, very aggressive, you know. Um, um, Bahia grass, mm, Bahia grass, not super aggressive. Uh, we resod, we sodded the, the Bahia project. For those of you wondering, you'll see an update on that soon. And we looked at those stubby little weak rhizomes and our sod fell all apart in our arms and we cried. But we got her done. But Back to it, in that warm season situation, if I'm in, you know, uh, February, because that's when our seasons usually start, and, and I'm looking at a at a St. Augustine lawn in, in uh, South Texas, and it's got a bunch of thin spots, even if, I don't care, if it has thin spots that are three or four feet wide, as long as there are stolons around um, on at least three sides that can creep in, right? I don't care if you're giant, I don't care if your spots are the size of a Volkswagen. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to seed, number one, because there is no St. Augustine grass seed. And, and in Bermuda and that, there is. But we're not going to seed, and here's why. It's a waste of money. Because all you have to do, these are aggressive stolons. These are not Kentucky bluegrass stolons that are happy if they creep two and a half inches in six months. Right? They're getting, they're getting, they're getting cheered for being two and a half inches. I'm talking about aggressive St. Augustine grass in this point that will grow three to four feet in just a couple of months. That's what I'm talking about. And if you don't believe me, you can go and look at the Lawn Care Nut channel and see my St. Augustine grass project, which was actually Pro Vista St. Augustine grass, which is a slower grower in general. And I pushed it in the spring, which is not even the end season for us, right? It's the dry season, but she was irrigated. But it's not like rain. Rain is magical. I've told you all that before. Rain is magic. When, when your lawn gets rain, I don't care what type it is, it immediately looks better, especially if it's sustained good rain. But anyway, you could see what that lawn did, St. Augustine grass. All I did was fuel it with fertilizer. That's it. You can do the same with Bermuda. Talk to anybody that's worked with Bermuda for a while, and what will they tell you? Don't worry about your Bermuda. You can't kill it. It will always come back, and that is so true. I know because I have Bermuda that invades my St. Augustine, and it freaking runs. By the way, for you guys that like my main stage, Palmetto, something, this year's been a drought year, and so for whatever reason, uh, the Bermuda is now like 70% of the lawn. It's wild. And that's only happened in the last couple months. Just, you know, I can't do anything about it. Well, I actually have some recognition that we're going to start working with. So lots of good content coming up here. 
But what I'm getting back to is you got to see the difference in the cool and the warm season lawns, right? The warm season lawn in the spring that's thin, I'm going to tell you to fuel that bad boy with nitrogen. Flagship, 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 ship every four weeks. Bam, 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 three quarter pound of nitrogen. Hit it with the RGS every single month and it will fill in. There is no need for seed. That's the key, and that's the big difference. So while you're going to tell me that your Kentucky bluegrass is rhizonymous or that somebody at some seed place has has uh, uh, invented a rhizonymous turf-type tall fescue, y'all, it's not what you think. Is it better than something that doesn't have rhizomes? Yes. But is it going to spread and cover three or four-foot wide gaps in a season? No. Warm season grass, though, it will. And so that's the big difference. And that's why you have to understand you treat these totally different. You really, I know they sell seed for warm season turf, but there is really no need to do that when all you have to do is fuel what's there to push out more rhizomes and more stolons. And that's that's the key. Listen, ask anybody that's gone on my programs in Florida or Texas. When they started out, if their St. Augustine was peaked and weak, uh, what they will tell you is I just did what Alan said and I started fertilizing it with flagship and all of a sudden I have the best thickest lawn on the block because you have to feed these grasses. You have to fuel them and when you do, they will pay you back by knitting together so tight and that will help you by choking out weeds. Usually when people tell me that they have weed problems in Florida or in Texas with St. Augustine grass or Bermuda, it's because it's their first season and they're still pushing the Bermuda or they're still pushing the Zoysia or they're still pushing the St. Augustine to spread. And so the weeds are competing. That's why in the first year with a warm season turf, we do have to use some pretty heavy weed control. That's why you might want to invest in Pinnet Magnum, which stops more weeds than just prodiamine. It just depends how fast you want things to go, right? Or what time of the year you're starting. But once you get on top of the weeds, they don't really come back. My weed, my lawn right now has like three patches of weeds and that's it. And I could kill, I can spot spray them and they're done. I don't have weed problems everywhere. And I have some spots that I've let go because it gives me content to do. I can do some stuff on Spurge coming up and that. Uh, in fact, you'll hear that in this podcast. But for the most part, my lawn rewards me by being thick and choking out other thing, other weeds and other problems because I fuel it. And that's how you run with a cool, with a warm season lawn is you fuel what it does naturally, which it becomes a giant bodybuilder and it just freaking dominates. That's your Bermuda, that's your Zoysia, your St. Augustine, your Centipede, and and maybe may, may, may Bahia. I love Bahia. I do. But yeah, hope you enjoyed that little diatribe rant there. Okay, I just uh, pick out some random questions here and there that kind of stand out to me because they give me a chance to help you think differently. You guys know that's really kind of how I like to approach lawn care. I don't like to just give you straight tips, you know. How tall should you mow? Well, just mow this tall. No, I like to try to get you to think beyond just the question and ask why, right? Why behind it? 
What advice do you have for us in the transition zone? I have a mix of turf type tall fescue, buffalo grass, and Bermuda. Okay, so remember, this was on a video where I talked about seeding versus not seeding and cool and warm season grass. And he's like, well, I'm in the transition zone, and I've got a little of both. Now, buffalo grass is kind of interesting. I I've, I always thought that was something that Australians grew, but that's cooch grass. So, uh, which, you know, that's, which I think cooch might be St. Augustine grass. I don't know. I You Australians, let me know. I thought buffalo grass was something grown by you guys, but apparently it's like a pasture type grass. I w it looks pretty neat. I mean, who knows? But I but my my advice to him or my my answer was when you have to him when you have a mix of fescue, buffalo grass, and Bermuda. I told him I said the answer to that question is it really depends on which one you want to push as your primary grass type, right? And once you choose one of those that you want to be your primary grass type then that means everything else is a weed. I don't care if other people call it a lawn. It's all a weed to you because it's not your primary grass type. Does that make sense? So in this case, he said he would think buffalo grass would be best. Okay, so that's fine if you want to choose buffalo grass. I don't have, and I told him I've never really worked with it, so I'm not really sure what to tell you from there. So I don't know what advice to give with buffalo grass from there. So let me give you a better example or a more like normal example. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not saying he's not normal, but one, because I really want you to understand this concept. So in the transition zone, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to have turf type tall fescue mixed with wild Bermuda or Bermuda grass because those types, especially like North Georgia, I'm thinking, you might also probably have zoysia that's got some some uh, turf type tall fescue in it because those are those are really butting up against each other in the transition zone. So if you if your question was Alan, what if I had turf type tall fescue mixed with Bermuda grass? What should I do? My question to you would be, which one do you want to grow as your primary turf type? If you choose turf type tall fescue over Bermuda, then Bermuda now is a weed to you. It is not a grass. Even though your neighbor across the street might have a full, beautiful Bermuda lawn, to him, that's great. That's that's his grass. But to you, it's a weed. It's a foreign invader. You got to protect your borders in that regard. You you literally do. And by the way, you won't. The Bermuda will always get in. But if you choose the other side and you say, well, Bermuda's my lawn, well, then that means turf type tall fescue is now a weed to you because you chose Bermuda. And so that's kind of how you have to look at it. Once you've decided that, now it's much easier to set a strategy going forward, not just with should I seed or not seed, right? Even though that would answer a question, but also what products am I going to use to get rid of now this weed that, that I thought was part of my turf grass, but not anymore because I've chosen to go with turf type tall fescue. So now Bermuda is a weed. I got to find a product to get rid of the Bermuda and the turf type tall fescue, right? Which no, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. But it's just Google it. There's been a million people answer that in a million places. You can Google it and find it pretty easy, a lot faster than I can tell you on this podcast. But the, the idea is I'm trying to get you to just think beyond it. If you're in the transition zone and you have these different types of grasses, then you need to choose one and the rest is a weed. Now, back to our friend that's choosing buffalo grass. I don't know how much information there is online about buffalo grass. So you would have to put that in part of your consideration set is, am I even going to get any help with this? And if I'm not, then am I willing to learn it on my own by mowing it low, mowing it tall, you know, fertilizing the heck out of it, not fertilizing at all. Maybe it needs a lot of nitrogen. Maybe it needs a lot of potassium. Plus you got to take a soil. I mean, there's a lot of things that you're going to have, but that'd be kind of exciting actually. So anyway, just wanted to give you that little bit of piece of information there again, to get you to think just a little bit differently. When you have things in your lawn that you don't like, it doesn't mean you have to be stuck with them. You just have to change your mindset on how you look at them. And in this case, deciding what's a weed and what's your main turf grass that you're going to nurture and push forward with.
right, here's another one that came in, and this is again off of that seeding versus who shouldn't seed video. Pretty interesting one. He says, okay, I'm at my wit's end. I seeded with the Rebels Tall Fescue. I don't I don't know. Is that the Lawn Rebels Tall Fescue? Is he selling Tall Fescue or is that some company? I don't know. The Rebels Tall Fescue. And I religiously followed your schedule with all your chemicals and FERT. Early July, a majority died, even with my irrigation system, both in the sun and shade. What grass type would you recommend to overseed with in northern Virginia? I am especially having trouble in the dense shade. Any advice? Well, um, I don't know a few things here. Did you seed in the fall or did you seed in the spring? I'm assuming because of the the this the nomenclature that you're using that you seeded in the spring. And I think that was really your challenge because one of the reasons I tell people to not seed in the spring with a cool season lawn, especially in Northern Virginia, because that's transition zone, right? So that's a lot of heat, even though you're using turf type tall fescue, which is what I would recommend as one of the better heat resistant cool season uh, grass types. You're in a, you're in a very hot area. And if you seed in the springtime, what I've always told you is, is that you, you have too many things coming up that your brand new grass has to deal with. Let's think about the flip side of seeding in the fall. It only takes 45 days to fully establish cool season grass. Kentucky bluegrass that germinates at 21 days may be a little longer, even though, as I've mentioned before, there are scientists and magicians who now are able to get Kentucky bluegrass to germinate at like 6 to 10 days. So hats off to you, scientists and magicians who are able to do that. But either way, about 45 days to fully establish a lawn from seed all the way to having it been mowed twice where it's hardened off and you can start spraying you know, products on it again, or it can handle the winter. And that's the main thing with the fall, 45-day window. In Northwest Indiana, where we've been doing all of our, our uh, stuff, the best, the ideal time for that is the first week of September. Now, I did it in the middle of August because, again, I got to get it out. I got to get it edited. I got to get it, get it, you know, done, all that. And we're fine. Her lawn is looking awesome. I can show you some pictures. It's looking so good. Um, she, she waited as long as she could to mow. She just mowed yesterday, and the lawn is looking great. Looking better than Luke's lawn if you guys pay attention, Luke is the uh, turf king, my buddy that lives across the street from Jeannie, who uh, got me that project lawn. So anyway, lots of fun going back and forth there. But what I'm getting at is, is when you seed in the fall time in Northwest Indiana, typically you're going to see the first week of September and your first chance of a major freeze, not just frost, but like a big freeze is not even until sometime in November, like around Thanksgiving. Now, there have been years where it's earlier, for sure, and there have been years where it's later, but right around Thanksgiving is th when things typically really get cold and frozen to where it could kill young grass seedlings. So if you seed in the right window in the fall at the beginning of September and you only need 45 days, you're only to the middle of October. So you actually have a few weeks of pad time even in between there. That's called hedging your bets and seeding at the right time, and here's why. In the fall time, most everything else is slowing down, but your brand new grass seed is going to do well. Now that your turf grass is also doing well. And I'm talking mostly about overseeding. That's normally the, the types of lawns that I deal with are ones that I recommend to be overseeded. So while all of the weeds are starting to slow down, maybe they're dropping seeds or whatever they are, your, your grass, your normal grass, your existing grass is it's doing its final thickening period in the fall. It's final root push, it's final top growth to save up as much energy as it can so it can get through the winter and thicken itself up. And now your brand new grass babies are off and running and getting things going. And once they get hardened off at the 45 day mark, now you got to only wait a few weeks until winter hits and shuts everything off. When I say shuts everything off, mostly we're talking about the annual weeds. Most of the weeds that you all got to deal with up north are annual weeds. They grow for one year, they drop seeds, and that plant never comes back again. Crabgrass being the main one. Now, it does drop seeds. The seeds come back the next year. We can talk about that. There are cycles. 
but for the most part, they're annual weeds. Even the perennial ones still have to regrow a lot. And if you've put a lot of turf in the way while they were dying off in the winter or in the fall, while they were dying off, your turf kept thickening, it will choke those out or help you to choke those out. That's all the whole strategy. Thicker lawn will help to resist weeds naturally. The good news is, is winter is your reset button. Your turf is fine. It it had the 45 days to grow and get healthy and your existing turf was already there and it and it so it's fine it can handle the winter now and the winter shuts everything else off that's a reset button the next year you start over and by the way with your cool season lawn you literally have a reset button every single year doesn't happen in the south just so you know but the frozen ground when your ground freezes it shuts everything off and gives you a reset button stops all the growth everywhere that's the reset button all growth stops so nothing is is hurting you, nothing is helping you, it's all stopped. Reset button. When you get back to the springtime, your grass that you seeded in the fall, it's it's good. It'll start going again. You fuel it, boom, it starts to thicken up because it made it through winter. Right? Now you can use pre-emergence to stop existing weeds or stop crabgrass going forward and continue to push your existing lawn to thicken it up. That's the strategy. That's how things roll. Now, back to the spring. Things are really different. If you seed your cool season lawn in the springtime, now, you can't seed too early coming out of the winter because you could get a late snow or something that would kill it. So what do people do in northwest Indiana? Well, they usually don't seed until, like, they're, they're usually, they if you ask them, what they'll tell you is, we never plant flowers until after around Mother's Day, right? So May 1st, May 12th was Mother's Day. 2024 is May 12th. So like the beginning of May, that's when people will plant their flowers in Northwest Indiana. Mother's Day is their safe date where they're not going to lose them all. And I'm talking about annual flowers. Well, you could kind of use a very similar strategy for your new grass because once your new grass grows for the first couple of weeks when it's coming in, it's weak. It's not hardened off. It needs, it can't have any outside pressure like a late freeze and it can die. So if you're in Northwest Indiana, you're probably, now you can go a little early. I'm not saying May 12th, Mother's Day is the is every year safe, okay? Sometimes April 10th might be a safe date, you know, a whole month earlier. This is weather, right? But I'm trying to tell you, you're going to spend money on the seed for seeding in the spring. You want to give it the best chance it has. You probably want to wait till the very beginning of May to seed if you're going to seed in the spring in Northwest Indiana. And everybody, your, your latitude, longitude is going to be different. I'm just giving this to you. You got to watch that late freeze. So if you seed on May 1st, okay, in Northwest Indiana in the spring, now you remember you got to have 45 days. You got to have 45 days for the grass to get hardened off and able to withstand a winter, but a summer's a little bit different, a lot different. But even 45 days from May 1st, that puts you into June 15th. Now I can tell you right now that July and August are the hottest months of pretty much everywhere in the country. So you're, if you're already at June 15th, you're only two weeks away from the hottest month, July. And then you're into August. And instead of having winter come that you do in the fall, that just freezes everything, freezes the growth, right? No, nothing gets better, nothing gets worse. It's frozen. Heat's different though. Heat continues to beat. Heat will beat. <laughs> and then on top of that, you have humidity. And it's really humidity is what's going to burn down that young grass plant. Heat with humidity. It doesn't have... A, a strong enough root system to really take what it needs from the soil to really help those grass plants live through that heavy heat and that heavy humidity. And so what can happen is, and this guy says it died off in July, right? Isn't that what he told me? Yeah. And so in Northern Virginia, I'm assuming he seeded in the spring. Soon as July hit, the, the rebel tall fescue here was not mature enough. It didn't have enough root. Sure. It had the 45 days to get established, but that's established to go frozen. Han Solo style, right? 
come right back out the same on the other end, Han Solo, like when he got frozen. This is different. This is summer. So that's why you don't seed in the spring. Now, another reason you don't seed in the spring is because of crabgrass. Because, yes, because you can't use prodiamine pre-emergent. Yes, you can use tenacity or mesotrione in the spring. And you should if you have to seed in the spring because a lot of you have to, right? I'm not saying saying this is a hard and fast rule. And if you do seed in the spring, you're immediately going to hell. Like, that's it. You lost your salvation. Your life is over. I'm not saying that. It's not the Bible here. It's just best practices, okay? But if you do have to seed in the spring, yes, you should use mesotrione. Yes, you should use that as a pre-emergent because it'll help to suppress a lot of that crabgrass, but it's not going to last as long as prodiamine. It's only going to last about 30 days, but we need 45 for things to get hardened off for you to apply pre-emergence. And you're also going late here. You're going in May. So there's a lot of, lot to do there. There's a lot of things to think about f- with spring seeding. But if you don't put any pre-emergent down at all, you're going to have crabgrass that's going to compete with you. And even if you do tenacity and you have a bad enough crabgrass problem, it's going to come through. Some's going to come through because it doesn't all germinate within that same window perfectly like when you want it to. So all of that to say, don't seed in the spring. And I think this is probably what happened to our friend here in Northern Virginia. So what I would tell you is, if you've decided that you like turf type tall fescue, which if you can grow turf type tall fescue in your area, I think you should, you're going to have a longer greener season. If you were to plant something else like a warm season turf, it's not going to green up until later because you do have some pretty decently cold winters there. So I would definitely probably go with the turf type tall fescue, but I would do the seeding now in the fall. And in Northern Virginia, I don't know when your, when your soil temperatures are going to cross 70, but that's when you want to seed in the fall is when your soil temperatures fall below 70. That's when you would seed that turf type tall fescue, get things back. And you can use the Rebels tall fescue again. I'm sure it's nothing to do with the seed. It was more about your timing. I recommend that you seed again here in the fall and get everything established, especially because you have an irrigation system, knowing that the winter is going to be a reset button for you. Now, I don't know how much your ground freezes there either, and I don't know how much snow cover you get, but I still say that that's going to be much better going into the winter, whatever that mild winter for you looks like. It'll be much easier on that turf-type tall fescue so that next spring you can come back out, apply your pre-emergence, stop the weeds, all of that kind of stuff. Now, back to the dense shade part. Uh, I've talked about this before because he said, really, that's the biggest problem he's having. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no grass that will grow in dense shade. It doesn't exist. So just don't even, if you have said in your mind that I have dense shade, I don't care if that, because that's going to mean something different to everybody. Does that mean you get two hours of direct sunlight? If you get two hours of direct sunlight, I guarantee you don't. I guarantee you get two hours two hours of some sort of sunlight during the day when you're watching, but you're not watching all day that the trees, the shadows of the trees move. Also that the, the angle of the sun changes. The angle of the sun, I know because I watch a lot of sunsets, and the sun is setting very, very far off right now when I'm at Anna Maria to the right. So it seems to be setting further up towards the north than it was uh, a few months ago. The the angle of the sun changes, which means then the way it shines through your trees and your house blocks things and your fences. And by the way, if you have fences and houses, that is, that's 100% shade. That's not dense shade. That's 100% shade. A house is, right? At least trees let something through. So what I'm trying to tell you is if you think you have a dense shade option or a dense shade lawn, then it's not a lawn area. Make it a, make it something, cut the trees down, People always get mad when I say that. It just depends. Not all trees are beautiful. Not all trees are great. If you have a magnolia in Florida, I have no idea why you do. They don't flower. This South Florida, I mean. Because in South Florida, a magnolia tree doesn't have a season. Nothing ever tells it, hey, it's time to flower because it's always hot. So, (laughs) So magnolia trees are just dirty here. If you have one in South Florida, boy, the magnolia tree lovers are going to come after me. But what I'm saying, some trees are garbage. So get rid of some trees. Now, keep oaks. I love oak trees, okay? So keep native pines, keep, 
I love native palm. Well, palms are not an enemy to the lawn. That's why I have palms all over because those don't block the lawn, right? They allow all kinds of beautiful sunlight to come through. But if you have dense shade, then it's not a lawn area. If you're not willing to cut down the trees, which I understand, then those become landscape areas now. There are, are shade-loving plants you can do. Maybe you turn some water feature around there. You do some pretty rock outcroppings. Um, if it's humid under there, maybe you try to hang in some orchids from the trees. There's a lot of cool things you can do. A lot of cool, you can do a lot of underplantings. There are a lot of kind of really cool fruit trees that will will grow underneath shade again you're in northern virginia so you don't have quite the same options i do but there are options for dense shade in your area and so i would just say i'm just not going to frustrate myself with dense shade because it's not only the shade and i always say this with trees it's also that the fact that they they have roots that are in the ground that are sucking away moisture and nutrients from your grass and the trees are bigger and they know how to outcompete grass that's why they're trees right and on top of that, when rain falls, there's salts that wash off the leaves of the trees that go down into the soil and spoil the soil and kill the grass below. All of this is why trees outcompete other things. So there's a lot against uh, grass when it comes to growing in dense shade. So my typical advice in dense shade is, is to just not grow grass there and live with something else. All right, here's one on uh, spotted spurge, and I'm not going to go into too much depth on it, but I want to, again, I want to want you to think about it differently. Spotted spurge is a weed that you're going to start seeing a lot right now. It's all over in Florida, but it, it grows as far up north. I, I've seen it in Indiana, so spotted spurge is pretty much everywhere. And um, one of the things to think about with spotted spurge, this guy, he says, look, I've been spraying it over and over and over again. The stuff is like, it's going down like crazy. He goes, I see, I've put down some of the best stuff and I watch it die and I only see it just keeps coming back over and over again. So the first thing to understand with spurge is, is spotted spurge, prostrate spurge, garden spurge. These are all the same thing. Okay. They might look a little bit different, but it's pretty much the same species. And they're just, they're all just different names used for the same plant. Um, when you think about attacking that, the first thing to realize is, is that pre-emergent actually can stop it. Now in Florida, uh, and I say that prodiamine pre-emergent can stop it. It's listed on there. Prostrate spurge is listed on the label. Now it's a tougher one because it's going to germinate, depends where you live. Now in Florida, it's kind of year round. Uh, it's a little bit worse this time of year because we're coming out of the summer, which is the hotter time of the year. And that's when it really prefers. It really likes it super hot. But um, up north, you guys, it's, you know, you're getting into the eighties, maybe, uh, a lot of times in, in, uh, August. And that's when spurge is going to come in. Prodiamine will prevent it. Now it'll, it'll germinate all through the fall though. So I'm not telling you to put down a summer prodiamine application because of spurge. It's not worth it and not something I would recommend. But if you are somebody that's dealing with a lot of spurge, then put down a pre-emergent in the fall as soil temperatures are falling to 70 in there. Go ahead and do a pre-emergent. It's going to stop other things too, like hairy bittercress and himbit, another bad one. Uh, across a lot of the country and a few others, but uh, Empoa annua, another bad one uh, mo through most of the country, but it also will stop some spurge. So that's the first thing. Just think about a fall pre-emergent application to help when spurge is coming on. But the other thing is you are definitely going to have to go after it with a fall application or summer applications of post-emergent weed control. If you have a cool season lawn, you're going to want to go with speed zone. Hands down, it's got the highest concentrations of the oxen herbicides that are just going to knock it right out. So get some Speed Zone. It's the one I recommend. For those of you that have gone through the store-bought stuff and it hasn't worked for you, you're going to want to go with Speed Zone on cool season lawns. Warm season lawns, Celsius works just fine. You do want to use the higher rate. It's the 0 0.113 ounces um, per gallon, so it's the higher rate, and you will be able to hammer out Spurge with that. But think about it this way. There are seeds in the soil 
that are not all going to go away. And so if you've had a problem with Spurge over time, uh, you need to realize that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Spurge seeds in the lawn because it's a prolific seed uh, maker, reproducer, whatever, right? It makes a lot of seeds. And so when you have tons of seeds, I told you to use prodiamine, but it, that's not going to stop all of them. That's like a piece of it. On top of that, you're going to have to spray all the time. Keep on top of it with the proper weed control. Keep it killed. And then the third piece is know that those seeds that are there, there isn't anything to kill those necessarily. We talked about the pre-emergent, but again, just a piece of it. A lot of the seeds that are going to germinate in the summertime are all there. And you have to kind of wait till they burn themselves out. So if you have thousands and thousands of seeds there, you might have to spray and keep the spurge out for like three years so it doesn't drop more seeds while the seeds existing burn themselves out because they can stay into the soil for a few years. So you got to just let them keep burning themselves out. You stay on top of it. Use prodiamine here and there. Uh, people have asked if the spring prodiamine will help. It's usually worn off by that time, right? So it's not going to help that way. But the big thing is to stay on top of it with post-emergent. And that's really the big thing I want you to get at. If you got a spurge problem, your main thing is to get a good post-emergent, if that's a speed zone for cool season or Celsius for warm season, and stay on top of it. As soon as you see young plants coming up, spot spray them, spot spray them, spot spray them. Keep it from dropping more seeds and know that however many seeds are existing from previous times, those all have to burn themselves out over time. So it might take a few years to get rid of it. It's a strategy that can't be done in just one season in a lot of cases. And that's really the point that I wanted to make when it comes to going after spotted spurge, prostate spurge, or garden spurge. Okay, I want to go over a guy that I was helping out here because I think it's it's very this is a good illustration of going back to basics and figuring things out. So basically, I got an email from this guy. He's new to Florida, and he was trying to work on his lawn, and he's getting frustrated with the way things are looking. It's not coming out right. And so he asked me for some help. And so I'm just going to read uh, everything that he kind of sent here, and then I'll show you the advice or give you the advice or show you the advice that I gave him and then show you the results that he got in his lawn. He goes, I moved to Davenport, Florida in December of 2022. As of right now, I'm struggling to keep my lawn looking decent. I honestly don't know what I'm doing, and I'm tired of purchasing products from big box stores to see which one works for me. I was wondering how much would you charge me for a consultation? I could send you pictures and a detailed explanation of what I've done so far. I bought your ebook a few days ago. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So this is this is so many of you that moved down here from somewhere else understanding how to take care of the lawns. So I said, hey there, Ed, thanks for reaching out to me. I'm happy to help you. No need to pay me. All I ask is that you send me pictures of the lawn and then let me use them in a video on my podcast. Send me pics of the lawn far back, closer up, along the close-up shots, and any problem areas. Also, do you have irrigation? If so, how often and how much are you watering? What have you applied to the lawn during this 2023 season so far? That will be a good start. So that was what my reply to him, and this is back on July 28th. So today is August 29th. So this is basically a month. So he, he sends back, he goes, he goes, perfect, will do. I don't mind you using the pictures on your podcast. I'll write everything as detailed as I can. So back on uh, that same day when he got home from work, here's what he said. I tried to be as detailed as possible. If you have any questions, please let me know. When I moved from Kentucky to Florida in December of 2022, I had to resort all my back and sides, resod all my back and sides with Bahia grass. He says, Bahia grass. And that's per the HOA rules. So he moved, so he moved here in April, okay? Oh, so he moved here in December of 2022, and then in April of this year, 
he had to sod his back and sides with Bahia grass per his HOA rules. So he followed all the sod company's instructions to the T, and it looked pretty decent. After a month, he says he put a 10-10-10 fertilizer down, and that's what the sod company told him to do. And after a few weeks, he started to notice weeds growing in the lawn again. So he went to Lowe's, and he applied a 20-06 Bahia weed and feed, and he didn't have too much success with that, he says. Um, and then probably two to three weeks ago, so now we're into July, he says he started to notice the lawn was getting some lighter green spots and burn spots. So he went to Lowe's and he bought a 100 fertilizer, deep green lawn fertilizer. That's probably like an ironite. He said, I also used seven insect killer granulated a month ago, more or less. He says, I used weed killer only when I had crabgrass with a sprayer and not a lot of success. Today, I used a hose-in sprayer weed killer and he says, I have an irrigation system around the house. I also updated the irrigation controller. I'm irrigating my lawn three times per week, 10 minutes each station. Note, the right side of my house doesn't get enough sun compared to the other sides of the property. Thus, I think the right side develops some sort of black mold or fungus. So he goes back and he kind of summarizes. My symptoms are bald spots, barely grass in some areas, lime green, some spots, and some burn spots, crabgrass, other other different types of weeds, that's kind of everything, right? And he sent me a whole bunch of pictures, which I've been showing you guys on the screen if, you are, um, if you're thinking about it, if you're watching. And basically, when I, when I look, the lawn actually doesn't look too bad to me. But what I can tell you is I see the light green spots he's talking about. I, I kind of don't see the weeds or the burn spots. But what I do see is bad irrigation. And so... You can see that this poor fella, I mean, he has, he's been going to the big box store and just buying all kinds of stuff, right? He's just buying whatever, and, and I get it. By the way, the Bahia weed and feed, that's a, a weed and feed, a granular. The reason, he says he didn't get a lot of success. Well, there's probably a couple reasons. The first thing is that he mentions he has crabgrass. I highly doubt that you have crabgrass in Davie, Florida. It's probably something else. And so the first thing is when you move to Florida, the word crabgrass is a generic word that people here use for anything that looks grassy but isn't their grass. So this guy has Bahia grass, and I'm not coming on him. I'm saying this is what all you do because I know because I watch the groups and I see how people talk. This guy has Bahia grass, so he has some other grass that looks like grass, but he knows it's not the Bahia grass. He at least knows that because he can see the difference, so he calls it crabgrass. It's like a generic term. Now, crabgrass is an actual thing. There's smooth crabgrass. There's hairy crabgrass, which... We don't need to get into that. You know, some like them hairy and some like them smooth. You know what I'm saying? But though, crabgrass is an actual plant. But when people move here, anything that's not their grass, that's grassy, that's crabgrass. So I need you to first understand it's probably something else like torpedo grass or tropical signal grass um, or maybe carpet grass. It's something like that. Or it could be doveweed, which also people think is grass. So the first thing to do when you have these weeds that you're concerned about, rather than spraying them, I, I obviously... Find out what they are. Get an identification. Call your, your local county extension office and ask them to help you out. Do research. Go online. There's a lot of ways to learn, but try to learn what that actual crabgrass is, okay? So that's one thing. But really, the biggest problem that we have here, and I knew it when he told me that he's only irrigating three times per week, 10 minutes each station. That's the problem. And then when I look at the pictures, that's where I can see that that's the problem. I can see that the lawn is just dried out in a lot of areas, Okay. And so what I told him was that I needed him to do a tuna can test here. Let's just go right to it. Cause he sent a ton of attachments. All right. So here I said, thanks for sending these photos. So one thing is for sure. You did not over fertilize. He, I guess at some point he was worried he over fertilized. Um, 
Yeah, he says, I think my, he think I, I he says here, I think I OD'd my lawn just pouring lots of fertilizer. Thus, I ended up killing my grass. That's what he's thinking. Yeah, he says, I got to this conclusion while writing this. So I, I kind of ruined the story by skipping. He told me all the problems and I already knew what it was water. But I didn't read his entire email where he says, I think I OD'd my lawn with lots of fertilizer. Well, first of all, he didn't. He's only put down really two apps of something with nitrogen in it, the 101010 and then the 2006 Bahia Weed Killer. And that's since April. So really, you haven't fed your lawn enough, bro. That's part of the problem. But that isn't the main problem. Okay, so he was worried about that. So here's my, my response back to him. Um, I said, thanks for sending these photos. So one thing is for sure, you did not over-fertilize. You're actually way under what I would recommend. However, that is not the biggest issue. The biggest issue I see here is the watering. The, the, the Bahia grass in the front on the close-up pictures, I can see where the grass blades are folded in half. This is telling me that they need more water. So far right now, the first thing that you need to do is understand your watering a little bit better. In fact, this is about 75% of the problem is water. I'm sure you're getting some rain too, but it doesn't seem to be enough. You see, when you tell me that you have a sprinkler zones that are running for 10 minutes, it's not enough information. I have no idea what your water pressure is, how many heads are in a zone, or etc. So what I recommend is that you get a better understanding of exactly how much water is going down and the target is one half inch. Every time a zone comes on, you want to leave it on for as long as it takes to put out one half inch of water. You want to water every two days or so and put down one half inch of water each time across the entire lawn. This is a video to watch that will guide you through getting this data. Let me know when you have completed that. This is the first step. And so what I did is I sent him my video on in-ground irrigation and the tuna can challenge. Set up the tuna cans and understand how long each zone takes to get a half inch of water. So I've addressed with you guys the fertilizing and I've talked about the weed control and all that. But with him, I didn't talk about any of that. What I did is I went right to the watering because that's what you got to get in line first. I don't care how much chemical or fertilizer you put down. You got to get that watering in line first. Now, this is Florida and it's supposed to rain every day. But again... I need to make sure the watering is good because I can see the dried out areas. I can see the droughted out areas, right? Heat stressed areas. Okay. So here's what he says. I'm going to do the tuna can test as soon as I can get it done and I'll get back to you. I have four zones. And so he gives me the number of spray heads per each zone. Okay, great. I said, so uh, that was it. So that was uh, all on July 28th. And he got, the re he got the results back and he sent them to me like how long it took. So listen to this. So he got the result. This guy did all this in the same day. Zone one has nine heads. It took 16 minutes to get down a half inch. Zone two has 10 heads, and that took 16 minutes to get down uh, to get down a half inch. Zone three, 13 heads, 25 minutes. Zone four, six heads, 17 minutes. So now I, I realize there's some overlap in there and stuff, but I don't know. So what I'm trying to tell you is now he knows that 10 minutes three times a week isn't enough. It takes 16 minutes per zone on, on average here and 25 minutes for one of the zones to get that half inch. So I said, okay, keep going. Got to run this, run this for a while. I said, give this a good two weeks to notice a difference. So here we go. He emails me back just a couple days ago. Let's see. So on August 16th, he emails me back. We were talking the 28th and 29th, so a little over two weeks. He goes, good morning, Alan. As you told me, I'm reaching out two weeks after I set up properly my irrigation system. It's been delivering a half inch every two days. I'm amazed how green and strong it looks. Now, I have a fair weed problem. They're getting strong too. I know for a fact I have crabgrass and another two that I couldn't identify. I attach pictures on my next email. I will send you more pictures from my back lawn. Blah, let me know. Blah, 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 right? So he sent a whole bunch more pictures here. Now, 
as far as the weeds go, I kind of already told them what to do, but you can see that the lawn is a lot greener, right? Just from the water. So now that we have the watering right and we're getting enough irrigation and things are looking good, now what I'm going to tell you to do is to start fertilizing the lawn. Now, I haven't looked it up. I don't know if Davie, Florida is in a restriction right now. Davie, Florida fertilizer ordinance. I don't know if they have one or not. Town of Davie, do not allow application of nitrogen or phosphorus. Looks like you do. Uh, use of fertilizer prohibited during the rainy season, June 1st, September 3rd. Okay, so in Broward, you can't fertilize yet in Davie. So what you're going to need to do right now is spot spray weeds. Now you have Bahia grass, so you can't use Celsius. So what you're going to need to do is go to right now because you're still new. First thing is, again, with that crabgrass, get that ID as to what that really is, please. Do that. Next, you can go to Home Depot or Lowe's and get the um, image for Southern Lawns. It's a purple label. Just get a gallon of it that's pre-mixed and use that to spray your weeds right now. I think that's the best thing and and just work on that. You can't fertilize, but once you get past September 30th, which is not far, it's one month away, then you need to start hitting that Bahia grass. You're in South Florida, so your Bahia is not going to go dormant. I would start hitting it with flagship fertilizer every single month because it's going to get a lot thicker. Now that it's green, just once you fertilize Bahia grass, I promise you guys, it gets so thick. You it doesn't even look the same, okay? So that's the next thing because that thing is going, that fertilizing, that's going to help choke out the weeds that are there. Now you're going to spot spray some for now, but that's going to help choke out the weeds. Now, if you want to use some RGS, root growth stimulant, I think that's a good idea too because that's got sea kelp. That's going to help you drive more roots. So spot spray the weeds, go ahead and hit it with the RGS, go ahead and hit it with flagship every four weeks. And then you're also going to want to get down a fall pre-emergent, probably prodiamine would be best pre-emergent application, but you're not going to do that quite yet. You're going to do that sometime around the end of October or early November. Other than that, all right, y'all, breaking in here one more time. Uh, I actually said that this guy was living in Davie, Florida, which is in Broward County, that's South Florida. But uh, as I'm doing the edit here, I realized, no, he's in Davenport, Florida, which is kind of not far from Lakeland, so Central Florida. And they do not have a fertilizer fertilizer ordinance. I think that's Pasco County, it is. They don't, they don't have a fertilizer ordinance. So all the advice I'm giving here is still good. Um, it's just you don't have to wait for the uh, flagship. You can start that right away. So that's what you want to do with that Bahia spot spray weeds hammer it with flagship, and then when we get to, towards the fall, put down pre-emergent. Stick to that plan, keep it mowed tall, and uh, water it when it needs it. Go ahead and subscribe to my channels because I'll talk all about Florida lawn, lawn care all winter. But for you guys on the podcast, I just wanted to share with you that success, that he had done a lot of things, he had tried a lot of things, he was getting frustrated, but it really came down to the basics. Get the watering right, take the tuna can challenge, and get down that half inch of water every couple two tree days with that i'm going to end the podcast here hope you guys have enjoyed this one hope you've learned a little something hope it's helped brightened your day made things a little better for you and uh stay tuned to my instagram or my twitter but instagram find me on there alan hayne stay tuned there for hurricane updates all along the next couple two tree days see you guys later